Welcome back to another episode of Like Dragon Like Sun. My name is Jack Oway. And I am Jay Oway, and this is a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we are a father-son duo, and this week we are digging up uh, into one of our sort of lesser talked about monster types. Um, if you followed us in the past, we have we've talked about dragons before. We've gotten into the fae. Uh, before we've heck we've even talked oozes Mm, um giants giants. we've had episodes and all those and uh and just recently uh call of the netherdeep has come out yeah and we're kind of looking through that and we're like wow you know there's some new aberrations in here we don't often think about aberrations we haven't talked aberrations for a while in fact we barely even look at aberrations as monsters that we plan adventures around Maybe like the occasional mind flayer or beholder. You I guess, know, but... yeah. We, we think of mind flayers and beholders all the time. Often maybe not thinking immediately, oh, that's an aberration. Mm. Um, but there is a uh, there's a lot of stuff these days. Most of it has been added in recent years. If you kind of look through the 60 or so aberrations available through D&D Beyond, uh, you know, official Dungeon & Dragon stuff, uh, like one third of them are from the, like basic rules, monster manual sort of stuff. Uh, the other two thirds have shown up a bit like the ones from Critical Roles called the Netherdeep. Um, have come through adventures of some sort or other books like Mordekainen's Tomb of Foes, Eberron's Rise of the Last War, uh, Volvo's Guide to Crazy Stuff, uh, or adventures, Waterdeep, um, Dead and Thay's added some. So they, you know, they come from places. Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. In fact, Matt Mercer and Co. Those guys have added probably more aberrations to the yeah. great total than anybody else has. And yeah. and I guess Nether Deep is just continuing on that that trend. And I expect with Monsters of the Morden Presents Monsters of the Multiverse coming out, we're going to see a whole lot more aberrations there as well, as well as some of our our revised favorites on some classics that we'll be touching on today. Um, getting into some aberrations. What are aberrations? Aberrations are utterly alien beings. Many of them have innate magical abilities drawn from the creature's alien mind rather than mystical forces of the world. The quintessential aberrations, as it says in the basic rules, are aboliths and slotty. Yeah, you say that quintessential, like those are not the first ones that jumped to my mind. No. Um, like we'd said earlier, that beholder is probably the first one I'm like, oh yeah, good old beholder, right? I mean, mm. he's even on the cover of um dragon heist Waterdeep, you know you got you got the big uh, beholder there isn't that xanathar it is xanathar it is, and his name's on another guide so i mean right now in 5e we have we have a, a beholder who's quite famous we do um and if so if there's anything that's quintessential right now uh mm. of the aberrations but yeah Abolus, also mind flares come sure. on right yeah oh absolutely they're they're always featuring uh, quite high on the list of things we've seen them in recent uh, video games and things yeah, as well. Gate, yeah, straight up. There's a whole like lore with Githyanki and everything. It's the mind flayers, like a huge part of the game. Um, and so I think the Abolith's a funny one to start with, um, mm-hmm. because and not surprising and hopefully not spoiling too much, but the Nether Deep takes place underwater. Well, part of it does. Hey, spoilers! But some of it takes part underwater. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the adventure. I have no idea, but. Aboliths are an underwater creature. They are solely underwater creatures. Yeah. That's a part of their uh, weakness is they, though they can breathe air and water, they don't really have 
a great swimming speed. They don't really have a great speed outside of, of the water, only 10 feet. And I believe if they don't spend... Oh, no, they're okay. I mean, they can breathe both. And so if they wanted to be on land, they could. But again, super slow, 10 feet. Deck saves are, you know, negative one. Blasting this thing, it's, it's a fish out of water at that point, yeah. right? Um, but in its, in, in when it's inside water, um, it's deadly. But, and here's the thing. I, I think most DMs don't prep underwater games. No. Well, it's, not, it's a bit annoying. Well, it's right? not the first terrain that you think of when... Yeah, and there's a lot of problems with it. First of all, finding a way for everybody to breathe and swim and move around and talk and do all that stuff while underwater is, you know, something that you're going to have to probably do with magic. Hmm. Um, which, again, in D&D, it's not hard to give everybody a ring and ta-da, you're done. Sure. Um, or everybody plays Tritons. I don't know. Right. It's something um, that can breathe underwater. I mean, it's a cool idea, but again, it's its own kind of adventure. Yeah. Stuck underwater. Um, but the cool thing about Apoliths is that they kind of force you to, to play underwater uh, with some of their features. And so if we're going to delve into a little bit about what the Labolith is, I think we can start with its lore. Apoliths layer in subterranean lakes or the rocky depths of the ocean, often surrounded by the ruins of an ancient fallen Apolith city. So, there's something a hint right there. They used to have big cities and empires. And Abolith spends most of his existence underwater, surfacing occasionally to treat with vid- visitors or deranged worshippers. Uh, and so, while it's in its lair, it can do things like phantasmal force against any number of creatures it can see near it, um, which is kind of, you know, it's okay. I mean, the damage is not amazing, but being able to force everyone to see all of these different illusions and things potentially powerful can create surges and pools of water um it can uh uh it can have its layer magically become a conduit for its rage um where it can target any number of creatures it can see in the water uh, and, and make them take psychic damage so it, it's pretty cool like yeah. the you know the idea that there's a lot of tentacles going on is a big part of and, and let's just call it what it is eldritch horror right there's a mm-hmm. There's definitely a Cthulhu-y sort of uh, Lovecraftian vibe going on here, and um, and I think that some of the older stuff picks up on that quite well. Although there is also within aberrations like a lot of things that aren't underwater. But let's just stay with the the Abolis just for a minute and talk about a couple other things people may not know. Um, so because the Abolis are kind of stuck underwater not stuck like you said they come out but they prefer to live underwater they are they made a group of uh sort of crustacean like monsters Mm. to go up onto the land called chules that's c-h-u-u-l chules yeah um and they're quite quite scary things they are quite scary things um because they're kind of trapped underwater they can't really uh they can't really interface with people who, who tend to go on the shores or, you know, beyond the shores. Uh, and so they created the tool to do their bidding above land. Although, again, how much you want to use that, up to you. Um, because there's now also rules for Aboleth spawn and things like that as well yeah. that have been in, in critical Which have also got tentacles and things and can go above land and uh, water. Like, I mm-hmm. think if you had a party that was on a ship or if you're doing a ship based thing you could try and use a bunch of these things to grab players or if they're on a beach or something drag them into the sea and then a fight they transit the transition the fight to something below or do a dream an underwater dream with an abolith i mean they're kind of psychic creatures they can't really do that but 
make it make a version. So let's just talk about the one off. Let's talk about that Abolith spawn for a second there. Yeah, well, we'll get back to the the big Abolith itself, but Abolith spawn. Um, I believe they were uh, the artwork makes me believe they're based off of scum, which appeared elsewhere. Um, but now in Call of the Nether Deep, they're just calling them Abolith spawn, which is possibly better. Um, gives them resistance to psychic damage, which is unique because it's not something that Aboliths actually have, um, at least not the base ones. They have an AC 14, nearly 100 hit points, uh, good speeds in land or in water. Um, the thi They can breathe in in air and water, but for every 10 minutes they go without being immersed in water, they take acid damage. So that's a trick to it. If you can imprison it out of, of water, you've already kind of won the fight because it'll start uh, melting while it's on water. Um, the big thing about this creature is it makes four attacks every time, every single turn. It's got a multi-attack with a, a spear, a ten, like two tentacles which can grab people and do psychic damage, and a, a super far range psychic attack. Um, and so the combination of the four of those uh, every single round, this thing's pretty devastating. Four um, attacks is massive economy. Um, you know, especially given it what CR five, right? That. You know, fifth level characters have got two attacks if you're a fighter or barbarian or paladin. Am I yeah. right about that? Ranger, do they have fifth? Ranger's get two. Yeah. So, so we've got a few cl martial classes that might have two attacks on the go. Mm. Um, where these things are four, four attacks. They're like, they're really yeah. going at it. And plus seven to hit at this point, they are as e pretty evenly matched with PCs at this point. Um, so yeah, if you had a couple of these on the board, they could really be doing some damage or a couple of these accompanying an Abolith, you could really ratchet the danger level of that fight up. You could put some 10th level characters in there and give them a good run for their money. Yeah. I could, I mean, these are only CR five, but again, a couple of these going like, you know, it's yeah. Cause then throw another Abolith in there and go back to the Abolith again. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't really get through all this stuff. They are. They've got legendary actions. They do. Right? So, you know, having three legendary actions also means that in between every turn the part is doing it or in combination with what their henchmen are doing, um, they can add, hmm. well, they can do a detect. So if your player, somebody's hidden, they can, oh, he's over there, and then send their bodyguard to go over and grapple you. Yeah. Drag you out into the open somewhere. Like a tail attack. They can do an extra tail attack just because, you know, we only... It's only had what it, it's only got three normally three tentacle attacks plus the legendary. So in theory, could have up to six attacks per round. Could do, uh, which is a lot of tail attacks. Given their tails, also no, the tail is separate. The tail just does. Oh, I see. Right, it's a pretty. Oh, right. Oh, it's there. One, the, there's the tails and tentacles, yeah, right? Not to get them confused. Uh, um, and then the psychic drain, which hmm. if you um, if you are charmed by it somehow, if you're enslaved, and the enslavement's horrible. Explain how enslavement works if. Well, three times per day, and there's another version, which is a recharge version. Um, the Abolith can target a creature can see within 30 feet, so the range is, you know, not great. But if you're somewhere near it, uh, it can force you to make a wisdom saving throw, DC 14. So again, not too hard to save, or become magically charmed by the Abolith until it dies, uh, or until it's on a different plane of existence. Now, this charm lasts forever, technically, um, unless you take damage, so you can repeat it. Um, and every 24 hours, if you're super far away from it, you can try and repeat the save. But again, if you're charmed by it, it'll probably tell you to just stay near and, it. And this one's got a cap. It can do this three times a day. But here's the thing. You mm -hmm. save against it once, it can do it again on you. 
This isn't one of yes. those things where once you've not frightened by it anymore, you're you're good, immune, you're right. immune to it for this. No, this you say once, nope, it wants to enslave you. It comes at you again. Um, the DC is not too hard, though. Particularly good though if you have been grappled by one of its minions or something like that and held in place while it's trying to get into your mind, uh, mm. and it can psychic drain. Uh, as a legendary yes. action while you're charmed by it uh you it can deal t automatically 3d6 to you or 10 on average right a which, psychic. which would then give you another save but it gains those hit points back yeah but it's recharging it's basically sucking off of you and mm. vampiring you a little bit yeah uh the thing also is if it uh communicates with you telepathically uh it can or i suppose if you communicate with it telepathically it can learn your greatest desires so that's a funny little detail there yeah, well, um, it gives it bargaining power, doesn't it? Totally. Uh, maybe something to charm you with. And it's charisma's high. You yeah. know, 18 charisma. Uh, 18 intelligence. Know. Yeah, those things. I mean, its real weakness is dexterity. It's got yeah. negative dexterity, so it's got a minus which, two initiative. Which brought us to thinking like, uh, oh, if we attacked it with a fireball, that'd be great. Well, you thought and then, that, and I'm like, and then, well, we're underwater. It, he's, yeah, but here's the crazy thing. As far as I can tell, fireballs are going to work underwater. Yeah, well, they have... Work. It's, what does work mean? Evocation magic doesn't care yeah, that it, you're underwater. It does care because it creature's resistance to fire damage while it's sure. underwater. So we're cutting it down by half. Which Let's is... pick another spell. Let's do lightning bolt. That's a deck save. Same damage. There's yeah. no resistance anymore. Absolutely. In fact, if you've got chromatic orb, instead of blasting fire out of it, you can blast something sure. else. And Why not? Radiant damage. Who cares? Whatever. This thing takes it. Uh, it doesn't really have any... Uh, immunities to any damage types or anything no. and as buckets of hit points go 135 it's not that many i mean it's um, got healing but it's, it's got healing ac 17 <laughs> i honestly not don't bad, think this creature but... is cr 10 if i'm being honest i, I yeah. think this creature is, is um when I, I think even juiced up uh matt mercer's cr 12 version of it mm. uh where the biggest difference is that instead of just having three of the enslaved things a day it mm -hmm. can just recharge on a five or a six yeah. Hey, I've started doing this thing at the table with my five and six rolls, like my recharge of things, of making the players do the roll. Mm. You know, either a player that was affected by the spell or targeted by it, even if they saved or didn't save, making the players re-roll it is just funnier. It's because if, if they get the five or six, it just hurts so much more. Yeah, it does. It's a cute little tip. Um, another thing about the abolith, though, that kind of sets it apart from other just slimy, grabby, tentacly things that probe your mind is its mucus cloud while underwater it can uh it, it is surrounded by a transformative mucus which is its grossest sort of bit and it can enslave you to come closer isn't, isn't the word then... mucus just bad like oh, to start true. with yeah, like I, hate it. I can't even imagine what f mucus floating in the water looks like yeah a creature that touches the avalith or hits it with a melee attack while within five feet of it has to make a con save again dc's not too hard on a failure it's diseased for 1d4 hours while diseased, it can breathe only underwater. And so now it's trapped you in its domain. Cure disease, I'm assuming, would fix you, though. Anything that would remove diseases works. That's the normal version of the disease. The worst version if it, is if it hits you with its tentacle. If it hits you with the tentacle, another, again, DC-14 uh, con save where you become diseased. Now this time, the disease has no effect for one minute. It can be removed by any magic that cures disease. But after one minute, if it's not cured, its, its skin becomes translucent and slimy. It can't regain hit points unless it's underwater, and the disease can be removed only by a heal or other disease-carrying spell of 6th level or higher. Ooh, 6th level. So Ouch. pretty tough. So forget about, you know, lesser restorations or greater. Great, greater restoration is, is that 5 or 6? 
Uh, greater restoration is five, but you could upcast it. Can you? Well, just spend a higher level spell slot. Would you let that happen to the DM? Yeah, of course. Hmm. It kind of wants more here by the sounds of it. Anyways, uh, rule that at your table as you would. Mm. Um, another little kicker to it is that when the creature is outside of a body of water, it takes 1d12 uh, acid damage every 10 minutes unless moisture is applied to the skin before the 10 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a heck of a hard uh, disease, that one. Yeah, I think that's a fun NPC detail is you always see them applying moisture to their face. And you're like, what's up with that? They're obsessive about it. Every yeah. 10 minutes, they're... Begging your cleric, help me, help me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... Plunging boring. back into the sea. Gross. Um... Yeah, I don't know. That one's a bit weird, but I think it's it's definitely a cool warlock patron, a more powerful master abolith. Um, but again, this is just your basic lowly abolith. Imagine, you know, there's powerful creatures, and then there's actual, you know, strong ones that are are proper in your world, and just pump up the stats on this thing. Give it slightly higher natural armor. Give it a faster swimming speed. Give it you know, better intelligence and charisma and strength and, and double its hit points, why don't you? You know, up its proficiency bonus and attacks and, you know, multi-attacks and its ability to enslave and its whatever, all of those things. And suddenly you've got much more of a menacing creature. Maybe you even give it, like, some psionic spell casting. And suddenly you've got, like, this horrific eldritch beast on your hands, um, which is good for underwater combat. Um, not much else. If we didn't want to go underwater... What other monster should we be looking for in the Abolith category? In the Abolith or the Aberration category? So yes, Aberration. Yeah. So Abolith, Abolith is just our first letter on the uh, yeah. the old uh, list of things here. Um, but if we work to letter B, mm. and something a little bit lower level, and it's I just like this one. First of all, I like its artwork, and, and as a DM, I think it's always great when you can put a nice piece of art in front of your players for them to have a look at. Um, so imagine an imp-like sort of creature, uh, leathery skin, bat wings, uh, little hook demon, uh, claws at the top of the wings, um, and like a bit of a snarly face, big ears and a goatee and long lanky limbs. And they're always like kind of playing with bones or it looks like they're playing with them. Then you realize maybe they're writing on them and they're reading them. These things are called burbalangs. And they live in the astral plane. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's inside the petrified... Yeah, they says they creep across the petrified remains of dead gods adrift in the astral plane. First of all, I didn't know the dead gods were adrift in the oh, astral yeah, plane. Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing. There's like a bunch of dead gods in the astral that's plane. That's great. Um, and so anyways, these guys are like hanging out on these things like they're little islands in the sea, I guess. Mm. Uh, and scribbling together secrets on the the bones and they like sort of spy into different planes and they like talk to dead spirits and they gain all this information and sort of record records from them but they're like these are only cr2 creatures though they're not exactly dangerous they're they've got some innate spell casting which is basically speak with dead and plane shift like well, speak with it at will yeah at will actually and plane shift. So like very much, you know, their spells are designed for them to gain information, not really hurt you. Well, plane shift, usually you'd be like, oh, could it banish a player of mine? Nope. It can only use it on itself. Yeah. So so really, these are these are aberrations from Mordekainen's Tomb of Foes, which are really mm. designed as, as an NPC almost, as a really quirky, or, weird... I mean, if you're a higher level sort of campaign, as minions to a bigger eldritch 
horror or other thing like some sort of you know githyanki army or or lord or some kind that is you know gathering information on dead bones and doing little trades and they do trades usually they don't really like interacting with the living creatures unless they can trade um potent bones for um speak with dead and so if you've killed someone important uh in your murder hobo campaign maybe this is a really good npc because you everyone you kill just take it their remains bring it over to the burbalang and they're like they love you for it you know they can like talk to all sorts of interesting creatures um that's the way i'd sort of run it um it another thing it can do is it has a spectral duplicate um where at as a bonus action it can create a, a duplicate of itself um and while the duplicate exists the physical form is unconscious the spectral duplicate um you can only have one duplicate at a time and it disappears if the burbalang drops zero hit points or if it dismisses it um, it has the same statistics and knowledge as the Verbalang, and everything experienced by the duplicate is known by the Verbalang. All damage dealt by the duplicate's attacks is psychic damage. So suddenly, um, you're overcoming everyone's resistances that they thought they'd accrued, because you now you're just doing psychic damage to everyone. But, um, it's yeah. interesting, when you look at languages that the Verbalang speak, and you don't see this a lot in D&D, &D, uh, the languages says all. Mm, which is pretty cool. But rarely speaks. Yeah. But it knows everything every language it can That's speak crazy. all languages which makes it a very interesting little translator to have hmm. um i was talking about wouldn't it be fun to kind of get a bit of some sort of spell jammer homebrew thing going so, um it'd be cool to have something like this on your ship that yeah universal translator everything you kill you bring over to it and it like reads its bones and tells you all sorts of things about it speaks with the dead you can sort of be there for the whole process can spy and get knowledge for you i mean it's a neutral evil creature it says in the description but again we all know alignment's kind of dumb it's got a flying speed no less it's got lots of great skill checks it can do for you um great arcana history religion all those things true sight as well um and so this thing is is really great eyes and ears for your party going anywhere um, yeah super valuable flies 40 feet it's, it's amazing yeah it, uh, it, again not good for combat at all uh, this thing is not built for that. It has a multi-attack, but its attacks are fairly weak. Um, not great to hit, not good range. Uh, otherwise, it's it's a potent ally if you want to collect information on the dead and scout ahead to plan your next mission. Yeah, and I mean, although listed as neutral evil, I would say that's, you know, in today's parlance, that means typically, but not always. You could find ones that are, you know, nicer than others. Um, or you could just make a deal with one. You sure. Know? Like, hey, if we bring you all these bones and information and yeah. secrets, will you? E evil might just mean greedy. Out, you know. You know sure. what I mean? Um, and uh, yeah, maybe. And maybe they're a little bit deceptive with the knowledge they give sometimes. Yeah. If they're not happy with the, the corpse you give them, or maybe your relationship is kind of indifferent sometimes. Or maybe it's just like that one friend you have who's like always a bit of a jerk, but they're still like a friend. Yeah, yeah one of those guys, um, but useful very useful good connections um i like the burbalang a lot i don't think it's something that you have to necessarily fight to kill um but it could be something that could turn out to be an ally which we don't see a lot with um yeah, aberrations except it, for one other aberration um and you might know this one and it, it seems to be the only really good at least you know more better than unaligned and actually a good um a lawful good aberration no the, less. the only lawful good the only lawful good the aberration. only good period yeah uh we could be corrected with new sources in the future but as of recording it is the only lawful good aberration and it is the cr18 flump 
Yay, flumps. Love flumps. Everybody should see a flump at some point in their player character yeah. careers. DMs, make sure you, you throw one in. They're cute. They're funny. Um, I had uh, I had even in my Curse of Strahd campaign last time, there was a, a flump costume that they got from Blinsky's Toy Shop. Uh, so the characters could actually put that on and become a flump. That's cool. Everybody needs to work a flump into your campaign Flumps at some point. They mysterious. They're the mysterious described as mysterious um, in the monster manual as they drift through the underdark, propelled by the uh, the air by the jets, whose sound gives them their name. Flump. I think they make a little flump noise as they fly by. Yeah. They glow faintly, reflecting its mood and its color. Soft pink means amused. Deep blue is sadness. Green expresses curiosity, and crimson is anger. They're intelligent and wise, communicating uh, telepathically. Uh, they're sentient beings of great intelligence and wisdom, um, uh, possessing advanced knowledge on, of religion, philosophy, mathematics, and, and countless other subjects. Uh, they're also very sensitive to the emotional states of nearby creatures. Uh, if a creature's thoughts suggest goodness, a flump seeks that creature out. Um, when facing a creature that exudes evil, a flump flees. Um, they siphon uh, mental energy from silent creatures. Uh, and can be found living near communities of mind flayers, aboliths, gith Yankee, and gith Zerai, as passive parasites. They take only the mental energy they need, and most creatures feel no loss or dim- discomfort from such feeding. So I think, you, again, you could have almost a cute pet. Like, I mean, I, if a great old one, Warlock, wanted to be, have a, a flump as a friend, I mean, I'd probably nerf it a little bit, make it tiny, and be like, yeah, have a little baby flump that feeds off of your mind energy. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, I've, I... I often have seen them like uh, in underdark type mm. spaces. They speak under common, um, you know, uh, s- living in the spaces outside of a drow city or something like that. You'd be quite likely to find them. Um, and it's always nice and in some ways to throw a little, a little spot of joy and happiness into what is otherwise a dark and scary place. Mm. Yeah, I think they're very cute. Uh, my assumption is they fly. It says they have a five foot, they do, like rolling speed, I guess, and a thirty foot flying speed where they go. Foof. But they have a, quite a few weaknesses, which is the tragic sort of thing about them. They're vulnerable to psychic damage. Um, no, just seven hit points, AC twelve, super easy to kill. You could kill it in one hit, really, with any kind of big weapon or spell. Um, in one hit, it got it has advanced telepathy, which allows it to. Um, sense all telepathic communication within 60 feet of it uh, and it can't be spread with creatures with a form of telepathy so that's yeah kind of i mean I, against other how they how they why they're not an extinct creature i don't know we don't understand the breeding patterns of where they come from or how they exist or maybe when you kill one they don't really kill one maybe two more appear somewhere else could be the case um they got lots of you know cute little stat bumps uh it has telepathy uh and undercommon again i don't know how it communicates to people um, if it can only, see, it can't speak under common, but understands it, or can it speak to all creatures telepathically? I don't. It doesn't really say. Um, maybe that's up for you to decide. Uh, the flump is immune to any effect that would send its emotions or read its thoughts, as well as all divination magic. So that's something protecting it. Um, but it also has something called prone deficiency, which I think is a funny sort of thing, and I think it could be an interesting character flaw or some sort of um, lingering energy uh, injury for player characters as well if it's not prone roll a die on an odd result it, it lands upside down is incapacitated which I imagine just a cute little flump being knocked upside down 
uh, and unable to do anything. At the end of its turns, it can make a DC 10 dexterity saving throw, uh, writing itself and ending the incapacitated condition on a success, but it is very weak to psychic damage and being knocked prone. Uh, as its action, it can send out tendrils, which do acid damage, um, and I think it, like, it can have like lingering acid damage as well afterwards. Um, there's also stench spray, a bit like a skunk, where it can uh, be, make a big cone in front of it, and you got to make a deck save, or be coated in a foul-smelling liquid. Uh, and it exudes a horrible stench. It's maybe, poison. Maybe that's just it. Maybe they're left alone in various places because people, just like with skunks, you sort yeah. of you recognize that, oh, flumps are just going to fart on you, and that's bad. Let's get out of here. Yeah, well, if, if we're, I mean, it's a lawful good creature. It's, it's really just sweet in here too yeah well, and it, but it lives energy. but it lives in very very dangerous places it does it does um it seems to almost say that creatures don't really bother it, it doesn't really bother most creatures um live and let live funny. i guess yeah um i see it, it consuming the psychic energy reveals the thoughts and emotions of the creature on which the flump feeds since so many of those creatures are evil flumps often are subjected to thoughts emotions and hungers that sicken their pure nature when flumps encounter good-hearted adventurers, they eagerly share the dark secrets they've learned in the hopes of casting down their evil sources of energy, even if doing so means they must seek out new sources of nourishment. Um, apparently, they live in complex and organized groups called cloisters. Um, within each, uh, within each flump has a, a place and purpose. These harmonious groupings have no need for leaders, since all flumps contribute in their own way. So they live in a pure socialist society, which, hey... We could all be a little bit more like flumps sometimes. Um, I think cute. A little tragic in the, their vulnerabilities and their weakness. Um, but definitely a, some somehow a very cute aberration, despite being able to do horrific farts. All right. um, all Let, sorts of things let's like go that. find something a little less cute, because yes. most of aber of the ab aberration space is not so cute. No, not very um, cute at all. I, I want you to tell me about Slotty, right? Right. First of all, I think a lot of us avoid this one just because pronouncing something that's got two A's in it like that with, it looks like salad, but and the L got like mistyped. Right. Yeah. But it's S L A A D for one of them singular and then slotty with an I at the end for plural. For plural. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Um. And and there is a whole whack load of these things. They come in different flavors and colors. Some of them lay eggs inside you. Some of them evolve into something Other called forms, yeah. you know, death slods. And yeah, yeah it, they're... Well, let's start at the beginning. Okay, where do they come from? Well, sure, I mean... Far that's, plane? That's a, a big war. In the ever-changing chaos of Limbo, which oh, if you they remember, come from Limbo. plane thing, uh, bits of forest and meadow, ruined castles, and isolated islands drift through a tumult of fire water earth and wind the foremost inhabitants of this inhospitable plain are the toad-like slotty slotty are undisciplined and have no formal hierarchy although weaker slotty obey stronger ones under threat of annihilation apparently there's a spawning stone where primus the overlord of the modrons in uh, mechanis created a gigantic geometrically complex stone imbued with the power of law he then cast it adrift in limbo, believing that the stone would bring order to the chaos of the plane and halt the spread of chaos to other planes. But as the stone's power grew, it became possible for creatures in ordered minds, such as Madrons and Githrazi, to create in enclaves in, in limbo. However, Primus's creations had unforeseen side effects. The chaotic energy absorbed by the stone spawned the horrors that came to be known as the Slotty. Sages referred to Primus's massive creation as the spawning stone for this reason. Well, the Slotty wiped out every last Modron enclave, 
uh, as for the utter as creatures of utter chaos slotty loathe modrons and attack them on sight nonetheless primus stands by his creation and either doesn't perceive the slotty as threats or chooses to ignore them they have horrific cycles of reproduction by implanting humanoid hosts um and, or by infecting Which, them with come transformative on. diseases when we get when we're talking about when we're talking about role play value when you're Gross. when when your players when your pcs just find out that that they've been they've been impregnated with slotty eggs gross come on isn't that great i don't like it and then at that point you've got to figure out how to get them out mm. otherwise it's gonna you're gonna go full like alien chest burster thing right it is it is it's, it's terrible um each color of slot so for a bit of um clarification reproduces or transforms in its own way so the red slotty i think are like the first ones red slot yeah that kind of works their way up the list right okay yeah so. when it claws a humanoid creature it can inject an egg from a gland under one of its claws fun the egg works its way into the host and gestates eventually forming a slot tadpole such a tadpole then eats its way out of the host's body feeds on its remains and seeks any other fresh meat it can find the tadpole transforms into a fully grown blue slot or green slot if the host had the ability to cast spells of their level or higher within 2d 12 hours so you There's think the red, red slots are targeting magic users because they like i want my baby to yes. go to university yes well green slots are the more powerful ones right so you want uh, you want the best for your your yeah. babies because red slots spawn blue and green by injecting whatever right. eggs that turn so into the greens whatever. then how do they, they do the chest bursters right yep. which emerge as blue or greens blues then um there's a bone hook that protrudes from the back of its hand that in, inflicts a transformative disease on creatures wounded. It called the chaos phage. Phage? Yeah, phage. Um, it transforms its victim into a fully grown red slot, or again, a green slot if it was able to cast third spells. Right, so it's, uh, it's making more yeah. reds and sometimes greens. Yes, and so essentially the greens are like the ones that are going up in the ranks uh, in spellcasters. And, so and how do greens, what do greens evolve into? Uh, greens... Um, let me see. They are surprisingly intelligent and possess innate spellcasting. They can change their shape to appear as humanoids, and so they're much more powerful. Um, if it was born of the humanoid host, it usually adopts its host's form. Can it, so when it says humanoids, it, so it can it can adopt its uh, human form in something like? Or? Yes, it can. Uh, it can change its shape into a humanoid. Um, other than, its statistics, other than size, are the same in each form. Wow. Um, so it's still an aberration. So you're, like you walk into a bar and suddenly you're like. Everybody in the bar turns into green slot. Slotty? Yeah, could be. Yeah. All of them could be slots, and you have no idea. Very much so an imp like imposter kind of alien turning into the thing it bursts its chest out of. Um, terrifying. Uh, at some unpredictable point in its existence, a green slot unlocks the means to magically instantaneously and permanently transform itself into a gray slot. Unlocking this knowledge can take years, even decades. doesn't say how or why, but suddenly it just knows how to turn into it and does so instantaneously and irreversibly um crazy uh and then gray slots all right we're the next one up so we've gone from cr5 red slots to cr7 blue slots to cr8 green slots to now cr9 gray slots uh outside of limbo gray slotty act as living extensions of the will of their masters the death slotty okay so they do have masters the gray slots journey through the material plane on errands of doom often taking humanoid forms. Again, they can shape change. Graceloud learns how to master the use of a greatsword. So apparently all Graceloads use greatswords. Um, wow. 
a gray slot that eats the entire so corpse it. of a dead so death slot so that's instantly it. transformed. Okay, so this is how they turn into but death don't, slots. Don't you think like a party that's run into one, the next time they bump into an NPC carrying a great sword, they're like, <gasps> he's got a great sword. It's a death slot. Well, sure. That's how you know it's a, a death slot and not a, a gray slot and not a, um, a green slot. If you don't know how they turn into death slots, yep. it's by eating dead death slots. Wow, so there had to be a first death Somehow, slot. yeah. I don't know how the first one came about. Uh, maybe it's in the lore for death Crazy, slots. interestingly, weirdly, bizarrely, uh, almost inexplicably, there's a death slot in Curse of Strahd. Is there? Yeah. That's terrifying. It, and, it, yeah, weird. Yeah, I don't like that. Death slot are suffused, apparently, with uh, energy from the negative energy plane. Again, I don't think it's its own plane, if we remember. That's just all of the lower planes, right? Yeah, it's, it's an odd one that gets mentioned here and there. Like... It shouldn't be confused as a, it's not like the ethereal or the astral or I don't believe it is. I mean, maybe Fae it's a polarity near the material plane as well. I can't remember. But again, regardless, know that it's bad stuff. It exemplifies its evil corruption of chaos. They take the sadistic pleasure in bringing harm to others. They propagate their race by dragooning mobs of red and blue slotty and invading other planes. Humanoids who survive the incursion become incubators for new slotty gross um they get lots of spells we'll get to them in a minute let's talk about the powers starting from the, the tadpole all it can do is uh it has magic resistance and it can bite um so not amazing it, it's got a bunch of fire uh damage resistances um acid cold fire lightning and thunder and it's good at stealthing again i don't know this got apparently got a 30 foot speed terrifying um but this is somehow if it breaks out and isn't inside a host red slots um have regeneration they get 10 hit points back every round. Again, resistance to magic damage. I feel like that's going to be a pretty consistent thing. And lots of damage resistances too. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, thunder. And so hurting this thing is going to be a little bit hard. It's got uh, already off the bat um, a triple attack where it can attack once with its bite and twice with its claws. Its bite is nothing special, but its claws um, force you, if you're a humanoid, to make a DC 14 con save um, or be infected with a disease, a minuscule slot egg. Um, yeah, gross. we do have we do diseases do sort of feel like part of um, part yeah. of what we see with aberrations, aberrations in yeah. general. Like there's, and I think that's interesting. So it's a, it's, instead of like a curse, it's more of a disease that you sort it's of a see biological through. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, satyrs, centaurs, immune to this apparently because they're not humanoids. Um, really? Yeah. Well, they're fey, right? Interesting. Um, again, you could retcon that for your own world. A humanoid host can carry only one slot egg to term at a time. Over three months, the egg moves into the chest cavity, gestates, and forms a slad tad tadpole. In the 24th period before giving birth, the host starts to feel unwell. Its speed is halved and has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. At birth, the tadpole chews its way through the vital organs and outside the host's chest in one round, killing the host in the process. If the disease is cured before the tadpole's emergence, and say how, I think anything that cures disease, the unborn slot is disintegrated. Again, anything that doesn't have ways to just cure diseases um, is essentially kind of doomed to, in three months, be killed, form a, um, and form a new blue or green slot. Yeah. Uh, if it, it's a green slot, if it could cast spells. What does a blue slot do? So it has to get to green in order to get it, ever to get to death. If it ever wants to, yeah. So people who are 
born red and blue about people slots born red and blue that's it they're stuck as red and blue yeah, yeah. reds are like all right i'm gonna go around and claw everyone and blues are like okay i'm gonna okay. go infect everyone so with here's chaos phase if i can just do a quick aside for our, all of our fans sure. who are curse of strahd fans who are looking at the amber temple and, and wondering what do you do with that death slot that's in there why is it there what to do i guess got an idea mm -hmm. i've got an idea right sure. now so let's assume actually that it's dead there rather than being alive mm -hmm. which is cool because the party on the road to the amber temple or perhaps as they come in have met a human carrying a great sword right uh who swears to fight alongside them and tells them about the terrible death slot yeah there. and does so and is seeking the death slot because it wants to be a death slot it's a gray slot in disguise that can only ascend by eating and here's the crazy thing the, the party then ends up killing that death slot there and in the wacky way that the domains of dread just repeat the same torture again and again somewhere somehow a, a gray slot gray slot is finding its way through the mist yeah that's at good this point the infinite cycle of becoming the most powerful and then being realizing that you are the key to others becoming powerful right and it would just and you have to be dead for that to happen yeah and so all the other slots it just it actually fits really it fits in really well you. with the whole it does curse of Strahd sort of cycles well. of um of of sadness yeah blue slots uh, going up the ranks. I'm trying to think, again, just better hit points at this point. Uh, regeneration is the same. I think just better damage overall, and the claw now, instead of implanting an egg, a chestburster egg, over three uh, months, uh, if it hits a, tar a humanoid, it has to make a DC-15 con save or a different disease called the Chaos Phage. Mage! While infected, it can't regain hit points. Oof. And its hit point maximum is reduced by 10 every uh, 24 hours. Yeah, that sucks. Um, if the disease reduces a target's hit point maximum to zero, it instantly transforms into a red slot. Or, if it had the ability to cast spells, a green slot. My recommendation, if you are planning a campaign to use things like that have this much disease and stuff happening, and you've got players who've got alchemy or herbalism kits, yeah. that you put some stuff in the game that... For curing diseases. That, well, maybe doesn't even cure, but can slow these things down or delay them or give them others to serve mini side quests as they're trying to work towards fixing people that they can expand energy and resources each day to sort of manage diseases and you can sort of play around with more disease in your game um which can be a lot of fun for players the interesting thing about blue slots is i think it's up to interpretation immediately my thought was oh they just become mindless red slot green slot back up to the slot business but who's to say that they don't they forget their original lives it doesn't it's not like a new creature being born out of them they turn into a slot yeah crazy right and so it's like at this point, are we playing? Am I playing a slot now? Uh, maybe. Uh, talk to your DM. Again, great old one warlock who has a, a death slot as their patron, and is like now actually just plays a slot straight up. <laughs> um, oh god! And they've got a flump with them. And they got a flump companion. Uh, the thing about the blue slot transformation is a wish can reverse it. And so you could try and go up to a, a red or green slot. And there's a fifty-fifty chance depending if it was made of a blue or a red, that you can turn it back into its original humanoid form. Wish is a tough spell to get your hands on, man. It is very tough. But again, just saying, unlike the red one, which is a chest burster, this one can be reversed, which yeah. is interesting. Um, rapid but, firing. But you can fire, you can drop uh, ring 
with a wish spell on it in your party's lap if oh, you sure. if they get mixed up with something like this and you're like i need to untangle all of this i, I don't want to be a slot anymore um then free i mean i don't know why you wouldn't be a slot they're very powerful um i guess maybe you don't want to turn other people into slots as well if you're a green slot you get a, a sweet deal um blind sight five damage resistances um great and natural ac at 16 um shape changing at will into any smaller medium humanoid um charisma uh innate spell casting at will detect magic detect thoughts and mage hand twice a day fear and invisibility and once every day a fireball uh, again 10 hit point regeneration every single turn if it has one hit point uh three multi-attacks where i can claw bite uh it's got a staff but it doesn't necessarily have to um and it's got a hurl flame attack as well where it can do 3d6 fire damage with this hurl flame um pretty damn good um so yeah they got some cool stuff going on there if you then unlock the mystical ability to become a gray slot again i'm saying you unlock i don't know if you meet it and encounter a gray slot not only do they have uh th that normal magic like i said before uh now they can also cast invisibility at will what, major what cr image at will. what cr are we up to we're up to cr9 now so we're CR going up and, up and up so eight green was eight nine uh, gray or nine and death or what ten right i believe death are ten yes yeah, yeah. um gray can do invisibility at will major image at will as well as the other ones beforehand they get fear fly fireball and tongues twice a day once where they can they can plane shift themselves all their magic attacks are um magical which includes their great sword uh again good multi-attack otherwise really you don't need to be worried about green and gray slot turning you into a slot no. or like they're safe they don't really infect other creatures it's just the red and the blue that yeah. are kind of scary yeah uh, kind of like dragons which is why i think actually it's interesting to put put one on the path to uh to the amber temple just as a mm. as an interesting npc that you wouldn't bump into very often and bring slot into that game in a more interesting way um but you know uh speaking of curse of strahd stuff yeah well, i mean do if, you want to if we can on, move do you want to move on from slot a bit keep the death slot a secret um the uh well i mean actually maybe we've talked about it briefly because i did pick up uh a death slot mini very recently mm. uh in case i have to do an amber temple yeah they're uh, the they're the big big ones they get um three multi they get like a triple multi-attack like normal uh again keeps all its resistances regenerations and everything but now once per day it can do a cloud kill as well which is pretty cool uh it's spell save dc is 15 plus seven to hit it's just essentially improving on everything that slots can typically do uh ac 18 as well but again looking at this thing it's a beast of a stat block Tons of resistances, blind sight 60 feet, um, shape changing at will, lots of great spells at will. Uh, Is it it's huge? Just, it's, it's, it's a medium aberration, but... Our mini's definitely more than mini. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know why it's so big, but we've got like a huge mini for the, for our death slot. I don't see why not make it a huge creature. Yeah, uh, CR10, you scare the hell yeah. out of your players. If you're putting it on the map, you might as well make it like... Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah should just be terrifying honestly this is this doesn't scare me as much as as the red and blue do just for the fact that it can turn you into slots yeah or kill you just nothing you can do unless you can cure your disease somehow um otherwise not very strong but still any hit that's crazy that um, um at the beginning this, we mentioned how a lot of these aberrations and things are coming out of new books um last year's van richten's guide to ravenloft mm. it brought us um more than just gothic horror it also brought in some ideas of, hey, how do you want to run cosmic horror more? Mm. And a lot of these things that we're sort of talking about now definitely can play into the cosmic horror um, idea 
much more easily. Uh, but they gave us a new one from there, the Greater Star Spawn Emissary, uh, which is a huge aberration. I think it could even be even bigger if you want. Um, the idea with this scary thing is that it is effectively the fingers of an alien realm. It is like, it is the manifestation, the, the avatar of a place that is a reality bent and different from our own, a world unimaginable and terrible, terrifying, a world of terror. Um, What's it called? It's called the Starspawn Emissary. Oh, I love Starspawn. They've got their whole thing going on. Yeah, yeah, they got a lot of fun stuff. And it's like, it says like, heralded by ominous astrological events, these ravenous invaders make worlds ready for unimaginable masters or distant great manifestations of themselves. Um, yeah, these are, these are big bosses that you, these are like end game. Yeah, so we're talking, we are talking CR 21. Yeah, this is like uh, final sort of, fight. You stop the villain from bringing this thing into the real you're world. You're going to try and stop the world you enter from its, ending. Yeah, exactly. uh, and it's going to stop reflecting. But they've too. got like a lesser form mm, that is more for infiltration. Right, so right. they can kind of be still in your midst strong. for a while, right. um, still. Oh, sorry, and yeah. it basically yeah. says to destroy one of these things. So you have to kill both its lesser and greater form. Yeah. Um, so I mean, killing its lesser form and then suddenly it erupts <laughs> into its greater form is also one of those wonderful little things you could do. Battle moments where you're like, oh my god, our weapons have only made it more angry. Yeah, a couple things to it though that are kind of immediately shocking. All languages again telepathy 1000 feet i can talk to you forever no matter how far you could dimension door away from me twice and i could still speak to you um yeah it's got three multi-attacks lots of lashing maws psychic orbs uh, expelling horrific bio yeah, like psychic like it's psychic orbs damage. are like plus 15 to hit range 120 feet it can it's it's a, you know it's a good creature when it can summon other creatures too yeah because um, every creature it hits with its acid attack summons gibbering mouthers when it's damage um, types nature. also being like acid and psychic um you know that sort of stuff means you're you know even your barbarians and things that have got you know some resistances are like yep nope mm. um and then of course you know three legendary actions so it's going to be busy between everybody else's turns with things like warp space which yeah. causes the ground in a 20-foot square can see uh within 90 feet to turn into teeth and maws, and the ground just starts eating people. Difficult terrain, and every five feet it moves. Five feet it moves. It takes three d six piercing damage, um, which is pretty horrific. Yeah, there's uh, no saves or anything. No, any creature as well. Um, so again, I could see this being set up in like I don't know if it has any like things that can like move creatures or push creatures around. I'd give it an attack that pushes creatures, and suddenly they're feeling the hurt as it hits strength, you. Strength, strength twenty four. Um, so it's plus seven strength. Well, I don't know. Um, make it modifier. So yeah, make one of its like I don't know, like a tendril or something that can like knock someone twenty feet back, and suddenly yeah, yeah. it's taking like twelve d six piercing damage just from being raked across the the toothy floors. Uh, it's also got a mind cloud, which can um, do again monstrous amounts of psychic damage uh, to pretty much everything near it. Yeah, uh, 32, 32 points well. and spells, uh, anything within 30 feet of anything, it. It's like, oof. Any spell, no matter what level, ends uh, of its choice um, in a 30-foot radius around it, which is oof, just crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's um, tough, I mean, especially if the players have pulled up some of their bigger concentration spells and are just yeah. like, nope. 
And this can, this is a legendary action. It just comes back every single time. Uh, its attack lets it teleport first and then make an attack as well, which is, again, terrifying. A flying speed as well. Yeah, this thing... And lots of legendary resistances just shrugs off your attacks. and uh, Yeah. But Pretty I awesome. love it because it, it sort of... I mean, if played well, you know, the idea... This is the, the most Cthulhu-y type thing. Mm we have in the official rules that sort of you know is reaching in from an alien world um something that and I, i've always loved the far realm idea for this that of all the planes that you know we talk about in our tour of the grand sort of ecosystem of of all the planes they're all kind of balanced they all get this stuff and then there's the far realm mm. which just is outside of all of this stuff and it doesn't matter in, in this situation if you're a, a devil or a celestial um you know fey or a, an ooze this thing is not your friend yeah um there i think they're cool i don't know why uses aren't aberrations as well i think they'd be great additions <laughs> to the aberration crew they change sides um, <laughs> yeah but star spawns as we like they're all again they've got lower versions like little Gru and grubs um that are are fun like ores of madness and confounding bites and and it goes all the way up to like larva mages which are gross uh, and they like if they're killed they just turn into a bunch of like insects and worms um that like reform it it's got plagues of insects and all sorts of like dominating monsters and eldritch blasts and god it's 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 very very um yeah gross, that's and that's all that's all van richten so it well, just, a lot of this is Morden Canaan. Was it Morden Canaan as well? Uh, the um, emissaries are. Yeah, they uh, came. They had a lesser one in there as well. Yeah. It's. Um, I just think it's really great that like, you know we are seeing with every new release with everything. There's a bit more aberration stuff coming out there. Um, we can't go through them all possibly today, oh, but no. I thought maybe we have one more honorable mention from the new book. Okay. It's uh, it's our first CR zero. Oh right, of course. Um, yeah. It's By the, the new book, we mean... Um, yeah, Another Deep. Another Deep, yes. Which is the newest as of the recording of this podcast. Yeah, the lowest CR um, aberration. The first CR Zero aberration. Yeah, a little sorrowfish. No yeah. big deal. Tiny little guppy with some... It's got a little bit of teeth, you know. It's got plus five. can bite you, but only does it's one... only one point of damage. One but. point of piercing damage. If you're a barbarian and you're raging, it can't even hurt you. No. But it's the the scary thing is it sort of says in the notes below is that they gather in swarms uh, they're they're sort of somehow influenced by the darker forces that lurk beneath and so so yeah we really do see uh sort of the the fear building when we get then to the CR6 version the swarm of yeah. sorrowfish uh which have also come out in the book uh it's a medium swarm of tiny aberrations which means it can move into your space yeah and occupy it which is interesting as well i've just recently discovered you can as a dm if you want although i think it's a really mean thing to do you can actually put swarms on top of swarms could do uh, which or is just terrible thing to do to a player. Thing. Terrible thing to do to a player. Um, but yeah, it uh, like many swarms, it's got more. It's more dangerous when it's got more hit points. As you knock it down, it um, mm. it loses it some of its potency. But um, 
Each time the swarm takes damage, though, any creature within five feet of it, or if you're inside it, has to make a wisdom saving throw. On a failed saving throw, you will have disadvantage on all attacks. You can't take reactions, and your movement speed is halved. You become really start to become stuck um, amongst these things. Yeah. And then they have these devastating drains, which has a recharge ability, but... um, it's uh it's a on a failed saving wisdom saving throw uh you take 24 psychic damage and is stunned which Brutal. is terrible because they do have swarming bites um which at this point will do 21 piercing an additional oh just 21 piercing or 10 if they're um below a half, below half a point yeah. hp uh, they have to be in your space to do that to you the thing is you can break this in early if someone pulls you out so it's not ter- terrible but still pretty bad stuns are just brutal um and as we're approaching the arrow mark, we want to say, I hope you don't feel the the virulent sorrow of the swarm of the sorrowfish. Um, I don't wish that upon anyone. I don't want anyone to turn into a slot. But if you want your PCs to turn into slots and horrific, unspeakable um, monstrosities, aberrations and what? Yeah, there's there's a lot of really great stuff in the aberration space. Uh, worth checking out and trying to dream up. It's often you need to come up with a kind of a Oh, maybe a bit of an unusual location um, for these things to work or, you know, not everybody's playing cosmic horror. Not everybody's like, you know, want to infect people with eggs, but there are, there are lots of stuff in here that, you know, could even work in a regular dungeon crawl. Cloakers work great in any underground environment, terrible, scary things. There's, you know, mind flares are always great bad guys in sort of mid tier uh, adventures. Um, Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, there's something almost from every, like Ravnica kicked in stuff. There's stuff from uh, Salt Marsh. There's stuff from every campaign mm-hmm. setting, which means that there's probably something that'll work in with whatever you're playing. Um, and like I said, just come up with some clever ways to adapt it, like I just did with Curse of Strahd, which I'm very excited about. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, make make them your own and. Uh, when all else fails, just, you know, dig out the beholder. That's right. All right. See you next week, everyone. Bye.